0: This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there.
1: I'm allowing myself to feel joy because I feel like that's activism in itself is to succeed. Like I've said, my success is my activism and the success that I help to catalyze in others is my activism.
0: Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. Arlen Hamilton is a champion for underrepresented voices. With her company Backstage Capital, she has invested over $7 million in over 130 companies with underrepresented founders, those who identify as women, people of color, or LGBTQ. Arlen herself identifies as all three, and she was sleeping on an airport floor when she knew she had to do something about the fact that no one in venture capital looked like her. Before we get into the episode, Write This Down, It's About Damn Time is the title of Arlen's brand new book, and it's on sale right now. Get to your local bookstore and snag yourself a copy. Now here she is, Arlen Hamilton. Thanks to Fully for supporting Gold Digger. Fully is a furniture company that makes standing desks, chairs, and ergonomic furniture to keep you moving, engaged, and loving how you feel at work. Visit fully.com slash golddigger to get $30 off when you spend a minimum of $300. Thanks to Fiverr for supporting Gold Digger. It's so easy to find freelance talent for your business or product with Fiverr. Get 10% off in the service you deserve at FIVERR.com using the code golddigger. Hello, Arlen. Welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for our conversation today. So I've been learning so much about you and just so many things from people who have mutual connections and just hearing so much of Arlen. And when I hear your name, the word that comes to mind is just resilient. And when you look back at your story so far, is there a specific word that could encompass all of your life experiences? (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Nuanced. Let's try that one.
0: (laughs) I like that. Tell me more.
1: Well, I've always been, you you couldn't really pin it down what I was, what I was doing. You know, I always had a lot of different types of friends. I always had a lot of different interests. And they all sort of, if you looked at them all at the same time, you would think, well, they're just, they don't have anything to do with each other. (laughs) She likes this and she likes that and she's doing this and she's doing that. And to me, it's just, it's all the same color but a different hue, you know what I mean? It's just it's just a little, it's nuanced. So I spent a lot of time feeling like I've had to sort of explain myself. And I've been sort of polarizing. That's another word I could have used. Uh, (laughs) But it's all, you know, it's all from like really the same intent of connecting and being part of something.
0: I love that. And I think that it's really clear in the way you show up when I have listened to past podcasts that you've been on, I've just heard some stories about your childhood. Tell me about wearing six watches at one time and just <laughs> why. And I think that'll give us a peek into the nuanced life of Arlen.
1: Right. So I was in the third grade, Mr. Pretty's class. I always thought his <laughs> name was funny. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. And we had like, you know, so I'm 39 now in 2020 and we had encyclopedias. I grew up with encyclopedias in my home and I would go through them like, you know, one letter at a time or whatever. And I came across the idea and the concept of time zones. Okay. And it just really intrigued me, even as like a eight year old, I guess I would have been. And I thought, wow, how cool is it that there are people in other parts of the world? I think I understand what the world means. (laughs) And it's like nighttime when it's daytime here and it's hot or cold or this or that. And I just thought it was so cool. So I wanted to, I remember thinking when I'm at school, I want to know exactly what time it is, certain places. Mm -hmm. So I would go anytime we went to the supermarket or to like a Walmart or anything, I would go to the gumball machine. And I would try to get a watch or I would get like a like a Velcro watch like that was like two dollars. I would beg my mom to get or something. And so I ended up having six watches that I wore at the same time in the third grade. And they were each to a different time zone. And the way that I would know what I was looking at is that their patterns would be a clue to what time zone they were. So I had one that had palm trees that was Hawaii. And I had one that had, you know, like a globe and and animals and different ones. And they were just different parts of the world. And I don't know where it came from exactly. I don't know why I was so intrigued by it, but I still am in a way.
0: I love that. I can't believe that you were eight reading the encyclopedia and you can say that casually. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was totally. I was not doing that when I was eight. (laughs) Okay. So walk me through your story because your story to me is just kind of like the underdog advantage in a lot of ways. And I know that that's something that you talk about often. But what were those catalyst moments that led you into this world of venture capital, which is what we'll talk about next?
1: Yes. Yeah, so and and then grow up thinking, I want to be a venture capitalist. I didn't <laughs> know what venture capital really was until early 30s. I just heard about it kind of in the background, like you would hear on TV or something or movie. And I had all of these other lives. I had other careers. I had started a music magazine, a print one that had done well when it came to the content and to the fans of the magazine but not well when it came to the like the economics I had toured for indie artists and I had toured for arena level artists because I'd built that over a 10- year period I had done all of these different things and really never had much money or kind of hold on to, to get my footing when it came to money it was like I was like 30 or something and I 30 or 31. And I had just finally gotten myself to where I wanted to be, like on my way to where I wanted to be in the music world, where I was gonna be like I was on tour with different artists and, and helping them as a production coordinator and as a road manager and all sorts of things. And I started hearing like Ashton Kutcher and Ellen DeGeneres and Troy Carter, who used to manage Lady Gaga, as a black man who used to manage her. I just started hearing these like whispers that they were making investments in a place called Silicon Valley. And I was like, what's that? What's going on over there? Like, why would they care? And why, you know, because they're like living these exciting lives, I thought, why would they care about this little place called Silicon Valley and make these investments, what's going on? So I learned about it, I just kind of looked it up and I realized, oh, okay, like Airbnb and Twitter and Facebook, they're all startups. They all came from that, I get it, okay. And then I thought, well, that's probably a place I can be, or at least I can kind of mimic what they're doing, the founder side. Because I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always set myself up with things like the magazine. And even my career in music was like a case study in building, you know, being the CEO of your own life. And so I wanted to start a company. And I started doing more research because, I, I, you know, there's a theme. I like to research yeah. things and I'm curious. <laughs> so I just started doing this research. And it's like almost like, you know, the movie Aaron Brockovich. She's like looking for something. She's studying something else, but she comes across this other thing. And that's when she goes on this mission. Well, I was studying just how do investments work? Like how, do, how, do, how does a relationship with an investor work with the founder? Because I want to raise money. How does that work? Who are the players? And I came across this statistic that said that 90% of all venture capital goes to white men in the United States. And they make up about 33% or so of the population, give or take. And I thought, that is crazy. That doesn't make any sense because that means that like all women across the board, all people of color, all LGBTQ yeah. that are not white, straight white, it was like straight white men was the, was the actual stat. I was like, that makes no sense to me. So that's when it kind of went off a little a little different way, a different course, which was If I don't try to do something about this major problem, this structural problem, I'm going to have trouble every step of the way in that world. And on top of that, so many people that I know of and so many people who would probably deserve to be in those rooms have been left out and will be left out. And it just didn't make any sense to me that I only saw a few black people writing checks or a few black people in the boardrooms or starting these major companies or exiting these major companies. So I was honestly like, I was broke. I had no money. I was in debt. I had housing insecurity, had all this stuff, but I, for some reason it was clear as day to me that I was going to start a fund and I was going to invest in a hundred companies by 2020. And that was like 2000 and started like 2011, the curiosity and By 2014, I was all in. I was going, I was trying, you know?
0: Yeah. What did it feel like to put such a bold vision out into the world, especially at that starting line? I think that a lot of people are just paralyzed to even begin or even dream that big.
1: I just knew that this type of fund and this type of entity needed to exist because it had it in the world. And it was just like... It seemed almost like I keep saying crazy, I don't know if that's a great way to say it, but it seemed like also so out of reach, but at the same time it seemed like, well, you know what? Richard Branson wasn't always Richard Branson that we know today, and Oprah wasn't always Oprah that we know today. They all started from something like where I'm starting from. Yeah. And that's why they call these types of things moonshot ideas. You're like going for the you're shooting for the moon. And I thought, I know 100% that I won't do it if I don't try. I know that. Yeah. That's like easy.
0: <laughs> but if I try,
1: there's a percentage chance that maybe it can get there. And even if I shoot for the moon, maybe I just reach barely, you know, in the middle. But that's still something. And so I, it just seemed like, you know what? <laughs> I'm 30 or, you know, a little bit older than 30 at the time. I'm Like, I've always felt like there was something like in front of me, ahead of me that was really special and important and that was going to reach a lot of people and I always had that in my head I couldn't shake that feeling over and over again Mm. and I just said if I don't try this and I am 50 or 60 or 70 and I and I think man I wonder what would have happened if I had tried it that's worse than any quote-unquote failure on the way that I could encounter
0: Mm. that gives me goosebumps Let's talk about imposter syndrome for a moment, because so many people in our audience say that that is the number one thing that holds them back. I mean, you didn't have funding, but your inner voice just kept saying you are a venture capitalist. Did you ever or do you still struggle with imposter syndrome? No, I actually
1: talk about this in my book because I feel like for a lot of underrepresented people, and we're talking women. We're talking people of color, et cetera. I think we've kind of been sold a, a bill of goods, you know. <laughs> like I think we, like imposter syndrome, I think is not. Is I think it's a, almost a myth because everybody has a right to try to be in certain rooms, like to be in rooms that they want to be in. Everybody has a right to go from zero to something. And you know, I was once in this. I uh, once did this fireside chat. And it was in Houston. And the room was like a brunch and it was a really beautiful setup. And it was a room full of women who were executives, like really high ranking executives at their companies or their startups. And it was probably like 100, 150 people in the room. And the person next to me on the panel, she asked the room, she said, who here has ever felt imposter syndrome? Because she was asking for something else. Every single person's hand went up in the air. Not one person, no matter what their race, no matter their age, no matter anything, their economic standing, every single hand went up in the air. And not only that, but everybody looked around at each other and they were shocked. They were like, whoa. So I pushed on it. I said, wait a second, Like, can we stop here for a second? Because I looked, I saw someone in the crowd. And I said, why Why do you look so surprised? So like, why, why do you have that expression? she said, I honestly, honestly have never thought about the fact that other people feel that way. Mm -hmm. Like I always thought it was me. And she's someone who got herself in a very high ranking (laughs) position. So it's like it almost never goes away. And if you think if like so many people feel that way, maybe there's a reason. Maybe it was like structurally set up that way. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we can break that down because nobody has it all figured out. Nobody is getting this perfectly right. So and then, you know, you look at some of the people who are, quote unquote, the boss or the CEO, of these CEOs of these different companies. And a, and a lot of these guys, you know, the little difference they have is like they just like are bolder and they're just like have more ego. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, yes. you know, so just, <laughs> say whatever I want to say. And yes. it's going to sound great. Yes. <laughs> You're like, Wait a minute. Yeah, I think I think we have to reevaluate how we got to places and and kind of I don't think you can compare yourself to other people because you just never know what they did or did not have to go through compared to you. And so your imposter syndrome is a lot around, well, they're further along than I'm supposed to be, or I am this age and I'm supposed to be doing the X, Y, Z. And I've certainly felt that way. But today, like the last three years, I have completely thrown that out the window. I said, no, <laughs> no. I love it. No. <laughs>
0: Oh, tell me about your mission with Backstage Capital, because now that we know that you're like, yes, I own it, and it happened, walk me through, what does Backstage Capital look like today? Right, so starting
1: in 2015, like the fall, I was able to start raising, I had years and years of people saying no, but finally, a woman named Susan Kimberlin, who I'll always talk about and always shout out, she gave me the first check to invest in someone else. So mm-hmm. I have a venture fund. so we I and my team, we invest in other people. And we have raised generated revenue of more than 10 million dollars. And so all of that that we raised we put into other companies and then the generated revenue we use to power us, you know to keep our right. operations going. And so we have been able to invest in 130 companies as of now and that'll grow. And that's a crazy amount in that amount of time. There I said it again, (laughs) but it it is in that amount of time. Like usually a fund will invest in maybe a fifth of that, maybe half of that. But we were just seeing so many great companies and we only invest in 2% of what we see. So imagine how many thousands of companies we saw and talked to and went through and they pitched and all that. So we invest in companies that are led by women, people of color and or LGBTQ. I identify as all three. And that's kind of where I started the thesis. And I said, you know, all of these founders that I've met over the past few years, and now, now even more years, a lot of them have done so much with so little, I wonder what would happen if you could give them just a little bit more, and if they would allow you to invest in them, you know, I don't look at this as like a nonprofit or any sort of charity, I'm not like, oh, I'm doing them such a favor. I think of it as like, can I please invest in you? Because yeah. I would like to have a piece of equity when you do something that exits your company, like you sell it or you go public or you merge or whatever. And that's how you have to kind of look at it because these companies that have been overlooked and most of the people in your audience, I know are like women and, and they know what it's like to be underestimated. That's what we call our founders, underestimated rather than underrepresented. It's just that like one thing that I've said before is like, If a woman has a, let's say, a a virtual call with me or in-person meeting with me and she's a founder pitching her company and she has a baby on her hip, I'm going to give her extra points. Yeah. Whereas traditional, quote unquote, investors may say, oh, that's a liability. Yeah. She's distracted or she has too much to do at home or can she even be the CEO? I'm going to look at that like she can multitask. She showed up she can do this and those like that's like we're we're turning those preconceptions on their head and that's where we where we shine and so today it's a small team we've had as big as a team of 45 people across two countries and we've had an accelerator across four cities and it's been this big thing now we're with covid and everything we got smaller and smaller and smaller We're like a a ragtag team, you know, we got it together. (laughs) But because we've built up so much social equity over the years, Silicon Valley just knows where we stand and who we are. And the play here is like we make these $25,000, $50,000, $100,000 investments, which is really relatively small when it comes to venture. But what we do really well is like attract other investors. So for instance, I just led a round last year for a company for expecting parents that helps connect them. It's a SaaS software program that helps connect them to their their care providers. And it's led by a black woman. And I led the round, which means that I kind of helped with the terms. And people look to me to kind of say, this is what we're going to invest in. This is the valuation. And I also brought in Mark Cuban. So Mark Cuban said, "Okay, I love what you're doing. I love what Mommy is doing and what uh, Melissa and Sonny are doing there. I want in." And I said, "Okay, great. You know, come on in and put." And he put down (laughs) sure amount of money. (laughs) And then on top of that, I brought Serena Williams in, and she put down significant amount and she led her of course her name and being a mother who has gone through difficult pregnancies of course yeah. and, it it helped with so much and so you can't even you can't even pay for that kind of promotion and marketing and like legitimacy and they were doing so well before us and they were doing so well now it's just that Melissa as a black woman she's actually uh mixed race she has two degrees one in law and one in business she is a powerhouse. Absolute powerhouse. But she would go, she's she's on record saying this in a podcast episode that she did with that that was like a documentary of ours. She would go into rooms with investors and they would spend 45 minutes of the hour that they had allocated asking her, are you sure you went to the school? Are you mm-hmm. sure? Like prove that you have these degrees. Prove that you know how to do this and that. Some of them would ask her about her hair. Wow. You know what I mean? What a waste of time and talent. Like, holy cow. Exactly. So instead of all that nonsense, I said, hey, can you open up your statements? Let me look at (laughs) this. Let's talk about the (laughs) money Let me see the facts. (laughs) (laughs) And we got down to it. And so I first, before I did that round last year, we invested in her out of backstage two or three years prior. Wow. And a small check, but then that turns into something, you know, it turns into Mark Cuban seeing it. And he has said multiple times that what we're doing is really awesome. And and he's uh, come in on, on a few deals.
0: Would you ever go on Shark Tank? Is that even a desire of yours? I'm like, why have we not seen you in one of those big chairs? <laughs> I mean, I have talked to them about it because yeah. uh,
1: first of all, Mark and I have like a a relationship where we do argue, we butt heads a lot. Oh, yeah, <laughs> We have a lot of respect for <laughs> each other. That's good for
0: TV. <laughs> it's so good, right?
1: But we have a lot of respect for each other. But when I disagree with him, I tell him and say. Yeah. And so well, even before that, I've said, you know, I would definitely go on if I were asked. But Even more so, I'm like, why haven't I seen Venus or Serena Williams on there? Why haven't I seen this? Because what I found out was, and this has nothing to do with Mark or the people who are the talent. This is like behind the scenes, you know, stuff that I've called out before. The only woman of color they have ever had on the show in 10 seasons is Jennifer Lopez for one episode. As a shark, isn't that nuts? And, they, and anytime I ask, not not them, but if I ask anybody in the industry and like, why is that? They're like, well, what about Damon? He represents, and I'm like, you can't just have one person for ten
0: years wow. representing millions. What a of missed people. opportunity! Yeah, so I would
1: love to, and I think with the virtual world, there's a really cool opportunity to do something online. And I'm looking into that because I don't need to wait around for Shark yep. Tank to
0: figure Make it out. Your but own, I mean, you already yeah. have made your own.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just think it'd be fun. It's so much fun doing pitch competitions, like yeah. people come up and talk about their companies. I would love to do something like that. Like even you know, it, it lends itself well to a podcast they have those up there I don't know I just think I think I mean I used to watch Shark Tank and yell at Shark Tank (laughs) I would yell at Mark and I would yell at Barbara and I would yell at everybody (laughs) I would get in on the deal (laughs) and I would watch it but I would watch it from you know a hotel room that I was sharing with my mom when we didn't have any you know place to live and now to be in
0: business with Mark just a few years later it's just it's just you know it's something else Establishing your online presence is no longer optional. It's necessary. Fiverr's freelancing platform helps you find the right talent to build your online presence fast. Whether it's building your first website or designing social graphics to celebrate years of business, Fiverr connects you with the talent you need to keep moving forward. Leveraging the talents of a freelancer is a great way to tackle the projects that are outside of your scope of genius, especially if you're not ready to hire someone full-time. Whenever I need video production, Fiverr is my go-to resource. Hiring a freelancer means you're reserving your time for the things you do best rather than trying to DIY an important project. Like you could learn how to master iMovie if you wanted to, but is that really the best use of your time when Fiverr has so many freelancers with hundreds of reviews and a way quicker turnaround time than trying to do it all yourself? Search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more, and you know exactly what you're paying up front. No hourly rates are negotiating. Find your talent today at Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order using our code gold digger. All the digital services you need are in one place at F I V E R -R R.com code gold digger. Again, that's fiverr.com code gold digger. How is work from home life going? Are you listening to this from the couch with your laptop balanced on your hip and your legs twisted up like a pretzel? Listen, I'm not judging, I swear. But let me tell you, moving from your couch to a beautiful, modern, ergonomic desk and chair situation from Foley is going to increase your focus and your effectiveness tenfold. Foley is a furniture company helping people and businesses make the transition to working from home with adjustable stand-up desks and chairs designed with movement in mind. My team has always worked from home, but now sharing space with partners and roommates and kids, it's even more important to have a workspace that's comfortable and set up for being productive. Actually, my podcast manager, Kylie, just redid her home office with Fully. Yeah, I wish you could have seen my posture as I logged all of my work from home hours at my very not ergonomic kitchen counter. Now I do all my work from my new Jarvis desk at standing height and my back is no longer curved like a croissant. I'm super grateful to have a work from home space that can adapt to what my body needs in the moment. The motorized frame with memory settings is not only practical, it honestly feels like a futuristic spaceship desk and I'm obsessed. Whether you're shopping for yourself or your entire team, Fully is here for you. If you need help transitioning your team, give them a call. Take $30 off when you spend a minimum of $300 by visiting fully.com slash gold digger. That's fully.com slash gold digger fully everything you need to find your workflow. Tell me about your mom, Arlen, because I know whenever you're asked, like, who is your best mentor? It's your mom. Tell me about her. Yeah,
1: Mrs. Erlene Sims is her name. I always want to say her name. She lives in Dallas. I just talked to her. So my mom raised my brother and me in Dallas, Texas by herself. And I just I mean, I just have always just thought the world of her. We argue a lot because we're a lot alike. And so we yeah. still argue like it's funny, though, because we will our arguments are so silly. But I just think the world of her and her, she just taught me, she was the first person to teach me what like grace was. Like I'll give an example and I, I have made a promise to myself that I'm gonna stop crying in the <laughs> interview.
0: <laughs> You're but, safe with me. <laughs> but I'm going to
1: give you an example of just something that just says, like set a couple of examples just says it all. Like one is that she she was in telecommunications her whole career. And, well, most of her career. She started out as an air traffic control person, one of the only black women to ever wow. do air traffic control in the 70s. And she just so, says it like it's so casual. <laughs> she it's just like, says it so casually. <laughs> anyway, when she was in telecommunications, she was like a top salesperson in, in that. And after a while, like, you know, when we were young, we just couldn't afford on her salary, she couldn't afford a lot of stuff. So she got a second job at 7 Eleven that she worked the night shift. So she would work all day, all morning till early evening, had her main job. She'd come home, she'd make us dinner. She'd make sure we're okay. She'd have like a two, three, four hours to herself. And then she would go and work all night at 7-Eleven. And not only do that, but like in a city where people could see her, you know what I mean? Like yeah. her friends could yeah. see her or and I'll and she also had like such a pride in it it wasn't like I have to do it was almost like you know I what I learned today about stalking this thing was you know and I'm just like it's incredible and so I started working at 15 because I was like I don't want you having two jobs that's just not gonna happen and this is like she's just been that example and then when we didn't have much later she was with me so she's with me when we're sleeping in a car because I'm going to South by and we don't have a place to stay. And so, you know what? She's with me at the Four Seasons now. She's with me in, 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 in uh, Dubai. That. She's with me in Greece. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we ride and because she was just always, always there for me. And one quick other example I want to give, cause it's so cool. She doesn't, she doesn't even know how cool this is. <laughs> But she was a supervisor at one of these, at this company that she worked for like 20 something, 30 years. It was again, early, it was like, I don't know if it was like the early 80s or something, but she was a supervisor for this period of time. And one of her employees was one of the first people to get a sex change, to transition as a man to a woman, because that's what they were born as, you know, internally, Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal because the insurance covered it. It was like a big deal for one of those things. But people at work didn't know how to handle it and they had a problem. And so they would come to her and say, this person cannot be in our bathroom. This person cannot be here, you know. So my mom went to that person and gave her the key to her own apartment that was nearby. And she said, you can use my bathroom anytime you want, anytime during the day, if you feel unsafe or uncomfortable here, and you're welcome in my home. Isn't that incra- and she told me the story, and she said it so cavalierly, and she's yeah. like, "All I saw was a person who needed to use a restroom." Yeah, I really <laughs> gotta go. I was go. like, "Mom, you know they can make a movie about you." Yes. <laughs> so it's so wonderful. Amazing. She's just wonderful. And she does make me tear up thinking about her because she's so, she has such an innocence to her and I, she's been through quite a bit and it just, she means the world to me.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I kn- I knew she was special, but those stories just illustrate that even further. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your book. Okay. Ooh. It's about damn time. What did you learn about yourself compiling all these experiences onto the pages?
1: You know, it's, it's about damn time it felt like that. It felt like I was ready to write this. And I had a yeah. co-writer, my friend Rachel Nelson, who I've known for like more than 10 years. She lives in England and she helped me organize and she helped me like really bring out things because I was like, how do you even start mm-hmm. <laughs> telling your life story and then yes. also applying it to other people and business? Yes. It's just not the easiest thing to do, but it just start, started flowing from me. And it was almost like... I thought it was going to be really, really difficult and it was hard to do and manage with my schedule. But other than that, it was like really, it was really aligned with what I felt I needed because I'd gone through so much and so much of it, I wanted to just have it be for something. You know, I wanted it to have those harder times to mean something and they mean something when someone else can read it and get something out of it. Yeah. And so I was just so excited. I'm like, oh, people are going to really like this or people are going to get something out of this or this or that. You know, I learned that I had a chance to just take it all in just what I had accomplished in, yeah. in less than five years. And also, yeah, there was a pride and I, I allowed myself to have. It. And I talk about in the book, you know, very meta. I talk about allowing yourself to be proud of yourself and to give yourself those moments Because you have to be your biggest champion, in my view.
0: Yeah, I feel like we never pause, right? Like no one forces us to press pause. And for a lot of people that have found success, you're just always on to the next thing. So I love that writing allowed you to kind of pause and reflect in a way that you probably wouldn't have been forced to do if you weren't having to fill up those pages. Yeah, absolutely. So what has it been like having a book out in the world? Did you ever think that author would be next to your name? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I I enjoy writing
1: sort of silly things. I never, I never knew that I would have a book that would be so well received the yeah. way that it has. I mean, people have been, it's only been a few short weeks since it came out, May 5th. But people have been writing to me every single day. I get messages, multiple messages from people who say things like, you know, at the very least, they say things like, I can look at my company now and I know exactly what I'm going to do or I know exactly, you know, the next step. And at the most people are like, this has changed my life or this is this makes me feel so proud of myself. This makes Mm -hmm. me feel like something part of something bigger. All of that. And I definitely would never have imagined I'd have some sort of self-help type of book because this is a business business imprint and it has some like funny moments. It has some anecdotal moments from my life. And then I tried, you know, 50% memoir, 50% like just tools and resources to do your thing. So I call it, you know, I definitely know that it's a book that's not just about me, but it's about the reader. But I never... Imagined it would be like this <laughs>
0: response. Yes. Oh, that makes me so happy. I want to know, so you teach your students how to raise capital for their companies from scratch. And I want to know, what would you say are the early learning curves you see your students facing when they turn up to you for help? And you can just say, you know what, go buy the book. But (laughs) maybe give us a synopsis here. Well,
1: no, I mean, it happens a lot. So like I said earlier, we invest in only 2% or so what we we see. And so it's highly competitive. And there are a lot of great companies that we just don't get to invest in. But what I see over and over again, because we see, I've seen like 6,000 plus companies in a very short amount of time. One of the things I think is that, you know, there's a not understanding your competition or not understanding your numbers or not understanding just the landscape of your market. And it doesn't matter what you're working on. You'd be working on a website that sells jewelry, or you could be working on a software as a service, a SaaS platform that powers HR or payroll. You know, deep tech or not, it's important and imperative that you know more about it than I do. And most of the investors that people are approaching are going to have so many pitches throughout their week or their month, they're not going to be able to like go to every single market and understand every single market like that, right? So Mm -hmm. you have to be able to really explain and express yourself either through writing or through speaking or through visuals in a way. And if you don't, then I always suggest that's a wonderful excuse to find a co-founder because you want someone who compliments you. So it's like that's one of the main things that that happens is like I'll ask a question that like oh this is cool I saw this what do you think about this competitor because what I want you to say is well they do this really well but this is how we're different and this is how we're gonna you know outperform them but what really is a red light early on is if you say either oh I don't know of them or they're not competition we're gonna beat them Mm. (laughs) and you don't have a reason yeah like (laughs) (laughs) like, so I just try to and I I want us to win I want us to win so I want I want you to know that that's why I started a course about it because I want you to know what these things to bring into the room with you and also to know kind of how much power you you hold the investor is not like the all knowing, you know, oracle of things. Yeah. You have a lot to bring to the investor if you choose to even go for investment. You may even choose to bootstrap and just hold on to as much equity as possible. And I love that. That's actually like my favorite angle to take because yeah. then, you know what? Nothing attracts an investor like a company that does not need it.
0: Yep. So yes. it's just, there's just <laughs> so
1: much to that
0: that I think can be picked up. I feel that so much. And one thing that blows my mind, so thinking that you only invest in 2%, what is your secret to making decisions? Because I think nowadays we have decision fatigue. We are exhausted from making decisions. And these decisions that you're making are not small decisions. They're quite large, they're life-changing. How do you navigate making decisions?
1: When it comes to companies, I have a strategy that uh, I don't know if a lot of people quite get from me, which is I'm going to use the same sort of instinct and almost the same innocent sort of being naive, that naivete that I had early on, no matter how much capital I have under management today or going forward. So what I mean by that is that there was something magical, some sort of something that was happening in the room early on in this process where I was picking these founders who on paper may not have seemed like they were going to be like huge companies but there was something I was seeing in the room something that I was saying that has an x factor to it or that person is going to wake up every day and work on this company in a way that the next person won't or they have a great EQ you know this this and that I don't want to ever be robbed of that and sort of kind of polished in a way that it's just, I'm going to look at things the way that every other investor looks at it. So that's a long way of saying I follow my instincts, but it's also strategy to do so. So it's not like just magical thinking. It's like to double down on the thing that I think I'm really good at, which is like this instinct of being at the right place at the right time and, and recognizing what that is. So it's almost like Simon Cowell. You know, we don't really know what his talent is other than (laughs) understanding other people's talent. Yes, (laughs) And that's how I feel like there's not there's not an exact word for what I do. And there are people on my team who are just great at certain things, like just really great at certain markets or really great at sniffing out the perfect seed stage company or this, you know, different stages. I am good at like being in a room and saying, I think that person has it. I think that person has it and no matter what they do, they're going to make it to the finish line. And not only that, I think that person and this other person I met two weeks ago would be perfect together. Mm, That's, That's kind so of what cool. I bring into it. So I just started trusting that more and more because that goes along with the imposter syndrome. I, yeah. I started thinking, I had people tell me early on, you know, you're not a venture capitalist. You're just really good at marketing. <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, you know what? Let them think what they think and just stay true to what you, what you know and just kind of double down on what seems to work for you. and And one day it'll catch up to what is seen outside. Yes. And that's just what I've done. Wow.
0: Well, it's very apparent that you have doubled down on that because <laughs> you're here today in such a beautiful way. I want to know just how is your heart? Like, there's just so much going on. It's Pride Month, the Black Lives Matter movement is in full focus. Our country is trying to gain footing after an economic downturn with coronavirus. Like, how uh, are you doing today?
1: I'm allowing myself to feel everything. Because in any given hour, I feel destroyed, you know, exhausted. And in that same hour, I can just laugh my butt off about something that I saw or that something that my wife said or something a friend said. I'm allowing myself to feel joy because I feel like that's activism in itself is to succeed. Like I've said, my success is my activism and the success that I help to catalyze in others is my activism. And I am absolutely concerned. I'm in the thick of things. I am doing everything that I feel I can and more and pushing myself. But I also take breaks and I also disappear in really simple things because I feel like I have to be, I think this is going to be a long haul of uncertainty. And I wanna have the stamina for it, the mental and the emotional stamina for it. And so if you're going 24 seven and you're just not giving yourself a break, you're no good to anyone after a while. So I, you know, I over the weekend I showed my wife another comedy that she's not seen from the nineties. <laughs> she's German, so she missed a lot of this like the cultural stuff that I love. And I just I just laughed you know, laughed and just seek that camaraderie with my fellow entrepreneurs, and keep fighting the fight. I mean, yeah. literally, <laughs> just fighting the fight that is like the thumb war. This is new way of thinking of thumb wars is being online with your thumbs. And yes. like fight, fighting with with and for other people.
0: That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It's such a such an interesting time for sure. There's never been a time like this.
1: No, no, that's for sure
0: where can everybody connect with you Arlen where can they get your book take your course learn more about you find out about Backstage Capital give us all of the places
1: (laughs) well thank you so much for that um Backstagecapital.com is where you'll find find my company and then all of the companies we've invested in are listed there and they're listed there with their pictures and then like stuff about what they do. So I would really encourage you to check those out because they're just amazing companies and they're all over the place, you know, geographically and the types of companies. It's just really interesting who we've been able to put together. And then if you go to itsaboutdamntime.com, that's really my hub. That's where you can find my book. You can buy my book as a hardcover, as an ebook, as an audio. I do the actual recording. I did the recording for the audio, which I really enjoyed. You can find it there. You can also be linked to my course there. If you go to it's about you can be linked to the course that I do, which is called How to Raise Capital from Scratch for Your Company. And it really is a combination of raising and bootstrapping, depending on which one after I talk to you about it in the course, which one you want to do, and then you decide and I take you down each of those roads. It's already helping a lot of people. It just started in April and it's already helping hundreds and hundreds of students with their companies and and rethink things. But yeah, that's where it is. And, you know, I just, the book to me, I want it in as many hands as possible because I know how transformative it has been for a lot of people, especially those who are working on companies or bold ideas or anyone who has felt underestimated before or feeling that now. And so I want that for them. And I also know that the power dynamics in Silicon Valley are changing in a really interesting, cool way. And I'm part of that. And the more that I have my own capital and like I'm doing things for myself where I don't have to ask other people, usually who are part of the establishment, money and resources, the more I can put into other companies and I can build wealth and generational wealth, not only for myself, but for others. And so that's what really the excitement is when you, when you buy one of my, like when you buy my book or if you take my course, what you're really putting your money behind is like me being able to wield that like an Avenger <laughs> and like wield that power in a very special way. Mm.
0: That's so good. Don't forget about your podcast, too. Your podcast is awesome.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, my podcast is actually just celebrated its first year. Mm -hmm. Um, It is called Your First Million. And I interview people from all walks of life about success in their own way. And they would have raised their first million or earned their first million. Or even sometimes we interview people who have been seen by a million people. Yeah. or have a million downloads etc. So I've interviewed people like Ellen Pompeo and all sorts of entrepreneurs and T-boss from TLC that just happened I still so can't cool. believe it. And we and it's so funny when you take all these different types of people and like it's it's very few entertainers a lot of it is entrepreneurs and but it doesn't matter where they're from or who they are. It all comes back to like some common themes. And that's what I really wanted to do with the podcast. So there's not an episode that doesn't teach me something when I listen to it. So it's called Your First Million and it's available. It's also linked from It's About Damn Time, but it's available anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: My favorite thing, Arlen, is when you sit down for your solo shows and you're like... I just went in the other room and hit record. I don't know what I'm gonna talk about. And then somehow you go on to talk about some elaborate topic for like thirty minutes. I'm like, wow, like that is the gift of intuition right there. Oh, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, oh, I wanna keep it real. I wanna always yes. keep it real as I know it, you know? Yeah. Just keep oh. trying and, and building.
0: Well, you do all of that so well. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Everyone go check out Arlen, find all of the goodness and definitely dive into her book. One of my favorite things during quarantine has been audio books because I'll jump on my bike and just get some fresh air and listen to the words. And it's been such a breath of fresh air in my world.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Thank you.